Our theme in 2016 is strong and courageous. And as you should know by now, the theme verse is Joshua chapter 1 verse 9. As part of learning to be strong and courageous, not just individually, but as a church, we are in this series called Strong Church where we've talked about how to be toward one another. We've talked about loving one another, serving one another, being devoted to one another, and praying for one another. We've had uh, different aspects of these one another verses that have come into play. This morning we're going to talk about encouraging one another. And encouraging one another is one of those things that it sounds simple. It sounds easy. But there's more to it, and uh, it takes some intentional behaviors and steps to make it work as God intends. So if I can explain how we can serve one another this morning by encouraging each other, I would like to do that by telling you a story. The story is that several years ago, there were some scientists doing research on stress, And what they decided to do uh, as part of their research was to stress out some little monkey. This poor little monkey uh, was really, really an unlucky recipient of their research. Oh, they didn't do anything terrible to him, mind you. They just had him in a cage and they would subject him to bright lights and, and loud noises and flashing strobes And just everything they could do to cause stress toward the little monkey. And when he was totally terrified, when he was just about to come out of his cage, they took a measurement of a hormone in the body called cortisol. Now, if you don't know anything about cortisol, that's a stress hormone. When you are most stressed out, the levels of cortisol are very high in your body. So when the monkey was totally terrified, they they measured his cortisol levels. And then they marked that all down. They shut down the lab and they went home. Next day they came back and they did the exact same thing again to this monkey. The bright lights and the flashing noises and he was totally terrified. Except this time they did one thing different. They opened the door of his cage and they let inside... A buddy. Not the reaction I expected. They put a buddy in there, and together they endured the stress that the monkey had gone through by himself the day before. Now, wouldn't you know, when they took the measurement again of that monkey's cortisol levels, that they were half of what they had been the day prior. The lesson is that, of course, one monkey is only half as good at handling stress as two monkeys are together. But the lesson is more for, than for monkeys. It's for us. So I ask you the question this morning, who is in your cage? Who's there with you? When you go through life's stressors, when somebody rattles your cage... You trying to fight that battle yourself? Because God teaches us, not just by what we do to monkeys, but by what's in his word, that we're making life way harder than it needs to be. I hope you have another monkey in your cage. 
I hope you have somebody there who's who's with you throughout all the stress, throughout all the trial, throughout all the, the struggle and the difficulty. You've got somebody there with you who says no matter what happens, we're on this roller coaster ride together. There's something about that that lessens the stress. There's something about knowing there's someone else with you. You see, what the second monkey did, he didn't do anything other than just being himself. But what he did in that very moment for the first monkey was simply this. He was what I want to encourage all of us to do. Encouragement means we need to be present. If you turn to your Bible, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, there's a verse, some verses there that have unfortunately been abused in the church world. They have been used to cause guilt and strife to make you feel bad about every time you miss a church service. And the writer of Hebrews did not intend that verse to be used that way. So as we look at it, I want us to think about this idea of encouraging one another. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, if you're reading uh, along in your Bible, says simply this. Let us consider how we may spur one, and on, one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And uh, I've heard lots of sermons where the, the, the exegesis stops right there. Not giving up the forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as some are in the habit of doing. He looks at you because he knows you were gone last week. That's not the purpose of that verse. You've got to keep reading. But encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. You see, our collective purpose here this morning is, well, think about it. I mean, you thought you were here to sing and to pray and to partake of the Lord's Supper and to hear something from me and to give. And those things are good, but God could have asked you to do those things by yourself. He said, all right, now you're a Christian. I'm going to have Paul write a letter where here's what Christians do. But he didn't. He called Christians not to live lives of isolation, but to meet together. And Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25 says there's a reason we shouldn't forsake the assembly. And that is this. When you get together you have the opportunity to encourage one another. This is our collective purpose as a church. Not just to be in a room for an hour or so, but to be present in one another's lives. To leave each other better people, more encouraged people, because we've been together. Well, what does that look like? I mean, think about it. You can come and do all of the acts of worship and not have really worshipped. You can come and be here without being here. You ever been there? Raise your hand if you've ever been here and not ever been here. Okay? My body's been here. But my mind is not, my heart is not, certainly my soul is not engaged. What we come to do together is not just to meet and worship, although that's a good and important and necessary part of the Christian life. It is also to encourage one another. 
when I see people that are having a conversation, I know that they are sharing with each other their lives. When, when I see someone who's a, a new guest, they've, they've been here the first time, it's so intimidating. Remember your first time to walk into Northside and you just felt overwhelmed with all the people and, and not knowing where to go and not knowing where the kids go and where your classroom is, not knowing anyone? When I see someone, a Northsider, say, hey, there's a guest, and go over to them and introduce themselves and say, well, let me show you where your class is and show you where your kids can go, and let me invite you to guest lunch. See, I see someone who's encouraging. When I see someone who's struggling, and they come in and they sit in a pew, and you can tell they're in pain, and you see another brother or sister come up beside him, put an arm around him, say, I know you've had a hard week. And I just want you to know we're praying for you. Maybe even pray with them. That's encouragement. When I, I know a brother or sister who comes forward and, and they ask for prayers and the encouragement of the congregation. And there's a whole line of you. You're receiving encouragement. You're being built up. You're doing what the body is supposed to do with one another. Then I can say, when you don't come, you miss that. Uh, lots of people will tell me, and I want to say a special hello to all of those watching online today. We have lots of people who do it almost every week. They physically are unable to meet with the assembly. And they tell me over and over again, the most discouraging part is, although they can watch worship, they don't. They aren't together with their brothers and sisters. They don't receive any encouragement. They aren't able to give any encouragement. Being present is so much more than just being here. It's what God calls us to do. To meet together that we might encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. So when you make eye contact with somebody, when you stop and listen to what someone is saying, when you notice the quiet, shy, reserved person who doesn't barely says a word coming in and does their best to not say a word going out. When you stop to pray with someone, when you build someone else up, when you go out of your way, when you get out of your comfort zone. You are doing what the church is called to do. Now, the problem is in church, we kind of get in routine. We all would do this. And someone will say, how are you? Well, I'm fine. Oh, well, that's good. You know, we kind of just go through the motion conversationally. Let me challenge you in your conversations to try to dig a little more deeply. If someone says to you, or you go up to someone you see, maybe a brother or sister in Christ, you can simply say, well, how was your week? And most likely they will say, oh, it was good. And your reply simply should be, well, what was good? See, it's just a simple uh, way to get out of our rut and say, tell me about your life. Let me know how it's going. What you're saying there in that moment is you matter. You matter to me and more importantly, you matter to the Lord and you matter here to the family at Northside. And that matters more than you know. I'll tell a story about Travis Rudolph. Now, I would like to tell you that I really know who Travis Rudolph is, but I don't. Uh, he is a wide receiver for the Florida State Seminoles. Since we're in college football season, I thought this was kind of an interesting story. There was this post on Facebook, and it reads like this. Several times lately, I have tried to remember my time in middle school. 
Did I like all my teachers? Did I even remember them? Did I have many friends? Did I sit with anyone at lunch? Just how mean were the kids, really? I remember that one kid, that one time on the bus, he called me Tammy Faye Baker because I awkwardly started wearing eyeliner as a sixth grade girl. I remember being tough and calling him some silly name back. But when he couldn't see me and I knew he couldn't hurt me, I cried. I do remember middle school being scary and hard. Now that I have a child starting middle school, I have feelings of anxiety for him. They can be overwhelming if I let them. I'm grateful that my child has autism. It may sound like a terrible thing to say, but in some ways, I hope it shields him. He doesn't seem to notice when people, don't, when people stare at him while he flaps his hands. He doesn't seem to notice that he's never invited to birthday parties anymore. He doesn't seem to mind if he eats lunch alone. It's one of my daily questions for him. Was there a time today that you felt sad? Who did you eat lunch with today? Sometimes the answer is a classmate, but most of the time, it's nobody. There, there are days when I feel sad for him, but he doesn't seem to mind. He's a super sweet child and always has a smile and a hug for everyone he meets. So imagine my surprise the other day when a friend of mine sent this beautiful picture to me today with the caption, Travis Rudolph is eating lunch with your son. To which I replied, who is Travis Rudolph? He said he's an FS Florida State University football player. And then this tears became, began to stream again down my face. Travis Rudolph, a wide receiver at Florida State, and several other FSU players visited my son's school today. I'm not exactly sure what made this incredibly kind man share a lunch table with my awkward autistic son. But I'm happy to say it will not be forgotten. This is one day I don't have to worry if my sweet boy ate lunch alone. Because he sat across from someone who's a hero in many eyes and I know in mine. When I heard that story, I thought, you know, I know that Travis Rudolph, regardless of his position at Florida State, is a Christ follower. You say, how do you know? I mean, uh, you, you don't know. How do you know? I know because how he acted. Because if I, I know that if Jesus went to your middle school, there was an autistic student there, and no one sat at his table very much. Jesus would have done that. That's what Jesus called his followers to do, to encourage, to be present in the lives of other people. And so often we see these sad situations, these difficult situations in life, and we think, I can't do anything. And Travis Rudolph couldn't do anything for that boy except one thing that made all the difference in the world and to the thousands of people that the mother shared this with online. The most valuable thing he gave that day was himself. He saw difficulty, sadness, something not right. And instead of seeing an obstacle, he saw an opportunity. That's what Jesus would have done. That's what we are called to do. Secondly, 
We are called to encourage one another by being persistent. Encouragement is not a one and done thing. You can't say, well, I said I said hi to this person. I, I, I smiled at this person. And so I've done all that I need to do. Encouragement wears off just like bathing, which is why we sort of recommend it every day. Hebrews chapter three, verses 12 through 13 says this. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful and unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Verse 13, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you are hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You see, all of us in here, well, I would say most of us in here have started the journey with Christ. But that journey doesn't just stop right there at the, at the edge of the baptismal. That's where it starts. It's a long old journey. It's a lifetime journey. And it's difficult at times. Imagine for a moment, if you will, a marathon runner. He gets up early that morning. He's trained. He's made the commitment. He's at the starting line. The gun fires and off the runners go. The runner knows that he can't start out full bore because if he does, he'll wear out quickly. So he has to pace himself. And along the route, there are these people holding these cups Full of water. And every mile or two, he'll grab one. Sometimes throw it on his head. Sometimes put it in his mouth. But, but he's always glad to receive that cup of water. You know, that encouragement that he gets, that cup of cold water, is just a way of one human being along the course saying to him or her, keep going. Don't give up. Keep pressing on. And that encouragement is not only necessary at mile one. You remember your mile one? When you were baptized and you came out and your hair was all wet and your clothes were still clinging a little awkwardly. And you came out and there was a whole group of people, maybe at a camp or maybe at church. And they were hugging you and telling you they loved you and telling you this is the best decision you'll ever make. And then life happened. And you realized that though you had changed, the world had not. And so it gets hard. Mile one, mile two, mile three. And you're not sure if you have it within you to go the remaining 23.2 miles that ha you have to go. But every once in a while, you'll see someone usually called a Christian who's holding a cup of water. Oh, not a literal one, but just a word of encouragement. Someone to pray with you. Someone to tell you, hey, it's going to be okay. You're going to get through this. Someone to remind you that God loves you and that we love you. And you take that encouragement one cup at a time. And you keep going. We've got a lot of cup holders at Northside. I tell you the story of Rusty Dennis. And a couple of weeks ago, you know, he responded. He's going through a tough battle in his race. He's had some... His wife, Willa Rose, is having some medical problems associated with age, and that's making it harder on Russie. His legs are pounding the pavement. His heart's beating through his chest. Some days he's not sure if he's going to make it. And so he came down one morning, and he said, in not so many words, I need, some, I need a cup of water. 
And so many of you lined up around him and hugged him and prayed with him and reminded him. And I didn't get a chance to because there were so many people lined up to see him. So I caught him the following Sunday here out in the foyer. And I told him the same thing that so many of you told him that morning. He said, you know, Toby, he said lots of people gave encouragement, but it was Brad Sibley who especially encouraged me. He came up and he grabbed me by the shoulders and he looked me right in the eye and he said, Russie, take care of Russie. As he tears came down his face, he said that I didn't even think about that or why that would even matter. But you see, Brad has cared for his in the past, his aging parents, both mother and father in the same way. Brad's been where Russie is And he took his obstacle and turned it into an opportunity to encourage another brother who's on the same journey that he is. Be a cup holder. Just a simple cup. But to the parched, weary runner who's ready to quit. To the parched, weary runner who's not sure if he can take another step. It means all the world. Every runner needs a cup holder at every step of the journey. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11 says this, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. So keep your cup full and ready to give. This morning, there are people here this morning and they have a smile on and they look real good, but they are dry and parched and weary. And it's going to take another brother or sister holding up that cup to keep them going. So here's four practical cups that I'll give you. Number one, show sympathy. Second Corinthians chapter one says, praise be to God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of all compassion and all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that so that is really important here. We can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. You can use your difficulties to complain and bemoan and and ask for just why God. Or you can use your difficulties to comfort another brother or sister in Christ. Have you lost a spouse? Or sadly, have you lost a child? Have you battled the big C? Or are you battling it? Have you had a family crisis? Have you lost a job? You've been diagnosed with a chronic health condition or struggled with anger or fear or doubt. Good. And I don't say that lightly. Because according to Paul, if you've been through those things, you are now equipped to comfort someone else. Kelsey Enriquez, formerly Kelsey Nash, uh, wrote this on Facebook this past Thursday. I wanted to share. This morning, I took a trip to Baker Photo and Video for some camera work. And while I was waiting there on my work to be finished, another customer came in to get something printed. The store was very small, and he and I were the only customers at the time. He was visibly upset. And as I overheard his conversation, I learned that his 17-year-old son had passed away in a car accident just days ago. And he was printing photos and posters that no parent wants to print. As I heard him talk to the employees through tears, I couldn't help but crying as I listened on the other side of the store. I built up the, this is so interesting, I built up the 
courage to tap him on the shoulder and to tell him that I was so sorry that I had lost my own brother two years ago. We hugged and I listened as he briefly told the employees and I about his son. I told him I would pray for him and uh, his family and did my best to comfort him in those few short moments we were together. I left the shop in tears, but I know, I know that God put the right people in that little shop at the right time. I'm learning that God never wastes a hurt, and he doesn't want any of us to suffer alone, and that God can even use my pain to comfort someone else. Number two, you can share scripture. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Romans 15.4 says that the Through the scriptures, we have encouragement. I want to challenge you with this. This week, if you haven't been challenged to the scripture challenge, I just hope you'll start posting encouraging words of scripture to share with the people that follow you the reason for the hope that you have. Number three, smile. I know it seems like a silly thing to say, but let me try two different preacher versions, okay? You liked the second one better, didn't you? You know what? A lot more of you smiled when I smile. That's not because of who I am. That's just because smiles are contagious. Philippians 4.4 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. If you are joyful, if you are happy, don't forget to tell your face. Number four. Remember to start. Encouragement is one of those things I can give you verses and principles and stories all day long, but it will never do as good as if you do it. So let's do it. Let's simply do this. I want on on your handout, if you're a note taker, on number one, I want you to write down, I will encourage someone by, and you can fill it in, however you, send a card, send a Facebook message, send a text message, send someone who needs an encouraging word, take someone to lunch, go visit a widow or widower, find someone who can use your encouragement and do it. Just do one thing to practice encouraging one another. You, you, maybe you need some ideas. Maybe you need some help. Here's one on your screen. <laughs> Whatever you need, find a way to encourage someone this week. Now, number two, we're finished, but I don't want you to write anything down. Because what we're going to do this morning, I want you... To look around. I want you to stop looking at me. I want you to look this way and this way. And look at your brothers and sisters in Christ. And I really want you to look around because I want you this morning to take the time to give courage to someone else. You see a North Sider you haven't spoken to in a while. You sit over here and they're over here. You know, make your way across the vast auditorium and meet and encourage them this morning. Find someone you don't know. You looked at your guest book this morning. Someone who's here, who's new, 
uh, or who's a new member and they're still getting learning their way around. Introduce yourself. Uh, Tell somebody who has already encouraged you how much you encourage them. Charles, I appreciate so much how you encourage us. Yes. All right. Right over there. I was like, well, he's not sitting over there. Charles, I appreciate so much. Yes, this is working great, isn't it? How you encourage us by always leading us in worship that is positive, that's upbeat, that makes us think, that brings us before the throne of God. You're gifted at it. You're good at it. And I appreciate that you use your talents to serve this body each week. Now, you don't get the luxury of saying that in front of everybody else, but I guarantee you Charles is more encouraged now than he was just because I took the opportunity to mention it, to say how he encourages others. You've got a lot of ways that you can help and encourage someone this morning, but you have to choose whether or not you're going to do it. Jesus said it this way, I will be with you always. He was present even to the end of the age. He was persistent. He left it in our hands to give courage to those around us. Uh, This morning, I want to invite you, if you need some encouragement, prayers of the congregation, or if you're ready to begin that marathon with a cloud of witnesses who are there to encourage you and love you, come forward. Uh, We want to help you in any way. Begin that first step, or if you need some encouragement after many steps, please come as we stand and sing.